to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. When you and I go to a Civil War battlefield, it's because we're fascinated by this era of American history. We want to know more about it, even to the point of spending our vacation time to travel there. But there are others who go to battlefields because it's their job to do so. Their job is to defend the nation today, and they go to Civil War battlefields to see what they can learn from past wars that will help them in the profession of arms today. Their tours are called Staff Rides, and tonight we'll talk with someone who leads them. He's Christopher Stowe, Professor of Military History and Department Head of the War Studies Department at the Marine Corps Command and Staff College, and he joins us tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you on a crisp, clear autumn night in 2018, October, late October. It's dark outside. It'll be darker still when the clocks change, but it's the way autumn was meant to be. Uh, Even here in East Carolina, Eastern North Carolina, where East Carolina University is located, it is uh, not East Carolina University that is speaking, however, tonight, but rather just me, myself. My guest will do the same as always as we 
bring you Civil War Talk Radio from the Brewster Building on the campus of ECU. Autumn means football season, and football season at ECU means anguish and defeat uh, this year as the last two years. But uh, always looking upwards uh, while the team got stomped again this past Saturday. They tried out a new freshman quarterback, a much heralded local product from Conley High School, and he did reasonably well, enough to make us think things will get better in weeks to come. Our defense is much better. And in any case, uh, the eyes of the nation turn out to ECU, but to my alma mater, University of Michigan, which played its big rivalry, well, second biggest rivalry game uh, this past week against uh, our friends down the road in East Lansing at Michigan State. As I said last week, the strategy of Michigan fandom this year was to show nothing but respect for MSU ahead of the game, not let them get the chip on the shoulder. Uh, It was not reciprocated before the game. The state players showed up late for their pregame traditional walk across the field. Uh, Michigan players already on the field warming up, but state decided they'd go through it anyway, walk right through the Michigan team as it began warming up. Uh, Could have led to an ugly scene, but the 100 yards that the Michigan State team walked uh, exceeded the number of yards they gained in the game, so let them have their pregame tradition if that's uh, the amount of yardage they wish to gain. Uh, The the rivalry promises to continue, certainly. Uh, Here on campus, as I said, uh, ECU not doing as well, but uh, it's just a nice time to be here. The... uh, uh, the leaves aren't turning yet. I don't know if they ever turn down here in North Carolina. We go straight from way too hot to uh, a rainy fall, winter season without much of a break. But it is nice to be here. I was riding my uh, rented Lime bike across campus thinking perhaps the reason I'm not rich is because I keep endorsing products that aren't paying me to do so, like the uh, the bicycle system they've installed this year that lets you pick one up anywhere, ride it where you want, and drop it off when you're done. Uh, really convenient to ride across campus to the library. Other things that uh, I'm telling you about because I think they're great and, and hope you will too uh, without compensation include the Lincoln Forum coming up November 16 through 18 in Gettysburg. Go to thelincolnforum.org to find out more about that. Or uh, next year, This Hallowed Ground, May 18 through 26. I do get paid to lead tours for Stephen Ambrose historical tours, but they pay me the same if there's two guests or 35. Uh, It's more fun when there's more of you along. Uh, So consider signing up for This Hallowed Ground, May 18 through 26, and we'll visit some of the places we're about to talk about this evening. And then uh, finally, the Civil War Institute at Gettysburg College, June 14 through 19. Their website is uh, the Gettysburg College site, www.gettysburg.edu slash CWI, where I met uh, tonight's guest this past year, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But it's a a really interesting way to uh, see the battlefield. That's really a small part of it. The main part is getting to hear what's happening on the cutting edge of Civil War scholarship from various people, including those who appear on this show. For example, next week, Tim Talbert and Elizabeth Parnitza, uh, both public historians, both were at the conference, the Civil War Institute conference last year, where I recorded a conversation with them on June 24th, and we'll play that back for you next week uh, on October 31st. 
I also met uh, Professor Jennifer Murray last year at the conference, and she'll be with us on November 7th to talk about her research on the battlefield of Gettysburg, the book On a Great Battlefield, The Making, Management, and Memory of Gettysburg, National Military Park from 1933 to 2013. And then uh, following week, November 14th, we'll have Jeffrey Hunt on the show. I did not see him at the conference last year, but who knows, he may be there next year. Uh, He has written about Meade and Lee after Gettysburg, and we'll talk a little bit about George Gordon Meade tonight as well, our current author working on that project. So lots coming up. You can always find out who's going to be on the show by going to www.impedimentsofwar.org, where Mark Gaffney tells us who's up next on the show, who's been on in the past. You can find links to all the past shows. You can find the donation button there. Uh, send your hard-earned cash to civilwartr at aol.com using PayPal, and I will use it to borrow books or buy books or buy refreshments or uh, repairs to the roof for the next hurricane, whatever seems most important at the time. Could be used for the Civil War Book Fund, too. No promises there. It's not a tax-deductible contribution. Uh, but it's always welcome. And if you're not uh, in a position to donate in that way right now, go ahead and send an email to me at the number, at the address that the the narrator keeps uh, repeating between segments of the show and let me know who you'd like to hear on the show or what you think of it, or that the monologue goes on too long, or anything you wish to share, always happy to hear about it, uh, and thus stay in touch. I, the, the stack of books, by the way, for the spring season is uh, really uh, impressive, I have to say. The, the fall season is fully scheduled up through the end of the semester. Most of the spring season is scheduled, and the pile of books that just keep coming in uh, sent uh, by publishers or I contact the library here at ECU and say you should buy this book or I even take the hard-earned uh, or hard-donated money you send and buy a book uh, to add to my own collection. Uh, it's just, it's it's very impressive. Not every book that is sent in by a, uh, uh, by a publisher necessarily gets a spot on the show. There are more books than there are spots. I'm looking at one right now. I, I'm not saying it's not going to be on the show, uh, it is by Professor uh, Diane Somerville at Binghamton University uh, from UNC Press. The title is Aberration of Mind, Suicide and Suffering in the Civil War Era South. Uh, I kind of thought Dave Selkinat had a stranglehold on the despair in the South theme with his books on desertion and uh, despair and bankruptcy in the South. Uh, and now we have suicide and it there's only so much of this I can take, I'll tell you, uh, uh, myself doing this on a Wednesday evening. It, uh, it, it's, there are limits to, uh, to how much bad news I can bear to share with you. Uh, but I have to say the book looks really impressive, and Professor Somerville obviously knows what she's talking about. So I put it back on the stack of books that are in competition for spots in the spring semester, and uh, maybe we'll hear more. If you want to hear about suicide and suffering in the Civil War era South, let me know. The last time I asked you, the listeners, whether a book should be on the show or not, it was uh, the book about Civil War beards, and uh, those of you who've been with the show for a while may recall what a uh, interesting evening that was. The two young authors 
were delightful people. Their knowledge of Civil War beards and indeed the war itself was, I think, superficial as a charitable term. But they were such wonderful people and the same age as my own daughters. I wanted to have a pleasant conversation and uh, uh, it was hard work that night. the book was fun, but uh, 60 minutes of conversation, maybe not. Uh, and yet you voted to have it on the show, listeners. So I, I asked you, you said yes, and that's what we got from it. I haven't asked you since, but I'm doing it again tonight. Aberration of Mind, Suicide and Suffering in the Civil War South. Good topic or one that, that we can each read on our own? You tell me. Uh, well, let's move on to tonight's topic, which is... Uh, uh, the staff ride, uh, or at least that's one of the main topics our guest has uh, expertise in. His name is Christopher Stowe. He is, as I said at the beginning, professor at the Marine Corps University, the Marine Corps Command and Staff College. Uh, so, Professor Stowe, are you there? I am. How are you, Jerry? Uh, good, Chris. Good to, to talk with you again. It, uh, we, we got to meet last summer at CWI, Civil War Institute, and our conversation over uh, dinner was so interesting, I said, let's do a show, and here we are. So how have you been? I have been, I've been very well. I, I, I listened with interest to your, uh, your story about ECU, and of course, the Michigan-Michigan State game, I, I witnessed a little bit of that before peeling off and getting something uh, else done on uh, Saturday, but I guess I can empathize with you in a certain way about uh, the, the drudgery of, of following certain sports uh, clubs or cities or schools. I'm a Cleveland Indians fan, and it came to oh. an abrupt end uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm kind of in mourning right now with regards to that, and of course the Browns are useless. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so uh, I, I have a little bit of a, uh, empathy for your, uh, for your plight down there in the... <laughs> In the Carolinas. Well, you know, it was um, when we were just talking, what was it, two weeks ago about, uh, uh, now I'm, I'm blanking out here, from uh, Columbia, we were talking about the lawyers during the Civil War, uh, mm-hmm. Professor Hoffer, and he said he's a Browns fan. Uh, he oh identified my. also. Uh, so so you're, you have company all over the country, uh, and the Browns are looking better this year than 16 Sure. Yeah. They're, so, they're so maybe it's... not the factory of sadness anymore, but something, uh, <laughs> something uh, one maybe one grade above them. So yeah. exactly. And so it well, goes... uh, at this point, guests are saying, "Stop talking sports." I can listen to a thousand channels of that. Um, yes, ask indeed. your guest uh, how he got interested in the Civil War. What what brought you on your career path? Oh, gee, uh, that's that's pretty easy. Uh, my father fell in love. My father's still alive. He's uh, uh, about 92 now. He's just uh, mm-hmm. nearing 92 years old. And he, he fell in love with the Civil War uh, during the Centennial Era. Uh, mm-hmm. He was uh, basically in his uh, early uh, 30s when that uh, happened. And uh, I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania, originally, right on, right on Lake Erie. And uh, naturally, he took his children uh, in succession, not all at once, uh, to Gettysburg. And, uh, of course, my, my eldest brother uh, went in 1963, the centennial of the, of the battle itself. I believe it was August of 1963 that uh, my father took my eldest brother. And then 1970 was, the, uh, was uh, my, my, the, my elder brother, uh, his trip. And then finally, my, my chance came in 1975. I was not quite eight years old at that point. And he had me read, my father, that is, 
had me read uh, the uh, necessary uh, and appropriate chapters from uh, Bruce Catton's Glory Road, the Army of the Potomac uh, trilogy, the second volume of it, uh, in preparation for that. And uh, in addition, Bill Frazanito's book on uh, photography at Gettysburg, uh, Gettysburg, A Journey in Time, had just mm-hmm. come out, I believe. And so armed with that information, we went and uh, kind of made a, a, a sleuthing trip to find all of the sites that Frazanito had, uh, had documented uh, in that landmark book uh, that he had published in the 70s. So for an for a almost eight-year-old boy, that was a, a wonderful way to use kind of the visual arts to, uh, to get in the mood of the Civil War. And my father obviously noted something in my enthusiasm about it because three years later he took me back. This is 78. And uh, so uh, we went back again uh, after additional reading, uh, not necessarily scholarly reading, but reading nonetheless, <laughs> and uh, kept going to battlefields with him until, gosh, until the late 1980s. Uh, he even went to some of the larger reenactments at Gettysburg uh, for a spell there. Then got into graduate school after uh, after a failed stint in sales and marketing. I did not major in history as an undergraduate at Penn State. Uh, uh, majored in in communications, and I was in sales for a bit. Went into graduate school because I kept going back into history as as kind of a first love, and uh, uh, envisioned myself as as a Civil War historian and uh, rather narrowly within the military aspects of it. And of course, graduate school opens up your aperture. Uh, it, to it really much does. More than, it, yeah, it, it changes yeah. the way one, one sees things. Um, let's take a short break. Come back. Sure. Trace the rest of your career, and then ask you uh, questions about leading staff rides yourself. We'll do that when we come back in just a minute. We're talking with Professor Christopher Stowe from the Marine Corps Command and Staff College. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. <laughs> Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Christopher Stowe. He is Professor of Military History and the War Studies Department Head at the Command and Staff College of Marine Corps University. Uh, Chris, we were talking about your your background uh, up through graduate school. I'm going to jump ahead and ask a question. Uh, a question about staff rides in general, and instead of starting at the beginning, jump right in the middle with this question. Sure. I was reading a uh, master's thesis here at ECU uh, It's about to be defended, where the student is writing about Julian Corbett, the British naval mm. uh, historian and theorist. Uh, right. Uh, this and it's a really good thesis, I have to say. Uh, and he is uh, making the point that when Corbett taught naval uh, theory to British uh, officers in the Royal Navy, he faced the—I I won't call it a handicap—because the situation of himself not being uh, a naval officer, mm-hmm. and so he had to rely on a different kind of authority as a uh, historian to get mm-hmm. these officers to listen to him. Uh, looking at your CV, uh, I have—it it appears you did not serve yourself, uh, as, as I did not in the military, mm-hmm. uh, but you often speak to an audience of military officers. What, what is the dynamic there? Uh, do they, how do they look at you uh, in your authority as a trained historian, uh, but not a, uh, a serving officer? How, how does that work? Well, that's a great question. Uh, it's uh, it's something that was actually rather uh, daunting to me when I began uh, the career within professional military education. We call it mm-hmm. TME because everything has to have an acronym within the, uh, right. the military. Uh, I, I started in 2006 with uh, the Army Command and General Staff College, and uh, I was only about four or five years older at that time than, than the, the, the students at Staff College. The Staff College students are typically mid-career professionals majors, sometimes senior captains, and in very few and few instances, uh, junior lieutenant colonels. So these are individuals who have, to, to use the, the kind of the cliched phrase, they've, they've been there and they've done that. And when I had gotten uh, to the command and general staff college uh, for the Army, that was a, a real concern of mine. And uh, what I learned was that uh, the students themselves, many of them have a, have a working knowledge of history, uh, usually from 
uh, a popular perspective or an institutional perspective, not necessarily a scholarly perspective. And uh, the, uh, but not always. Some of them do have mm-hmm. uh, a background in, in the scholarly as- scholarly aspects of it. But what I found is in the classroom, in the seminar room, uh, more accurately described, uh, they're professional. Uh, they understand that that you hold the position by virtue of a selection process, a hiring process, and they are uh, almost without fail uh, respectful of of your position. Now that said, uh, if if you don't demonstrate competence, uh, that shows. Uh, but when one looks at the military history uh, programs within professional military education. Uh, one will find that a good portion and sometimes even a majority, oftentimes a majority of those holding uh, the professorial positions have not served in the military. They are, in, in essence, uh, military affairs or military history experts who have uh, a background in, in publishing and teaching uh, in scholarship. Uh, and that their their bona fides uh, speak for themselves. And, and and I might add to that that's by design. The schools themselves, uh, and and the the the, uh, the colonels and the and the the general officers who direct them, they they don't necessarily look for uh, institutional groupthink. And so therefore, to broaden the aperture of the student, they're going to bring in humanities professors and social scientists, political scientists, for example, uh, to teach uh, security studies, uh, international relations experts who may or may not have served. So it is a challenge. It was a challenge for me personally because I had a preconceived understanding that they, they wouldn't respect me because I had never put on a uniform. But that, that just never, didn't turn out to be the case, uh, at least in, in you know, the early 21st century. Uh, as far as Julian Corbett goes, it may have been quite different in, in the in the sure. British uh, in the Royal Navy. Mm-hmm. Now it, you mentioned you know PME, uh, so you've got the acronym the Professional Military Education. That's mm-hmm. uh, all professions. One of the things that distinguishes them is the need for continuing education. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that often leads to uh, ticket punching. Uh, did, are the students that you lead on on staff rides or, or teach mm-hmm. Civil War history to in the classroom? Are they uh, for the most part, serious students who think they're really going to benefit from this, or do they see this as a, a, a checkbox they have to fill? Well, that that's always a challenge uh, within uh, the you know the PME community. Is 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 this something that one does merely to get promoted to lieutenant colonel to O five, uh, or or to to gain uh, access to the opportunity to get promoted to uh, to lieutenant colonel? Uh, th- there is some of that, but by and large, and this is especially true at the places that I've uh, that I've uh, taught at at the, at the Army Command and General Staff College, and now, of course, at Marine Corps uh, Command and Staff College, uh, you see uh, uh, quite a bit of competitiveness among the students because I find most of them, most of the men and women who, who uh, attend these schools are, are competitive people, they're type A personalities, and they want to do well. And, uh, and many of them, most of them want to excel. And so they will push themselves, uh, not only because of duty, uh, it, it's this taxpayer money, obviously, that's being put into their, uh, their education, 
but also because they're self-motivated. Uh, our group at Command and Staff College represents, it's a rather selective process. So we're getting some of the best uh, Marine officers, some of the best sister service officers, uh, uh, among the best uh, uh, foreign officers, international officers, as well as uh, uh, civilians uh, from many of the, uh, the outside governmental agencies as well. So these are, these are highly motivated professional people who uh, not only look at this as a means to gain higher rank, but even more importantly, to, uh, to round themselves out uh, in, a, in a holistic fashion so that they can excel in, in their jobs. So they take it pretty seriously, and that includes military history. Uh, taking, taking that seriously because uh, our military history program uh, has, a, has a function. It's not merely to, uh, to inform uh, individuals of the past. It's really to create and to help uh, you know, uh, foment critical thinking, creative thinking, critical reasoning, uh, which is so important for a staff officer and future commander as he or she uh, uh, assesses uh, military problems, and all military problems are, are, are difficult. Well, the, the, and that leads to the $64 question. Uh, mm-hmm. How do uh, do the students, and mm-hmm. uh, I guess by extension the taxpayers, get their money's worth out of studying mm-hmm. 19th century military mm-hmm. problems? If you lead them to Gettysburg, uh, mm-hmm. how does that relate to what they might have to do in Afghanistan? Oh, that's a terrific question. Yes. Uh, I mean, our, our military history curriculum mm-hmm. extends, it's rather broad, it extends roughly from the 17th century to the current time. And uh, we spend basically, uh, you know, about two hours in, in a particular class talking about the larger muscle movements of the American Civil War from a military, political, economic, cultural perspective. But we also augment that with staff rides. Our staff rides at CSC, at the Command and Staff College, are, uh, are, are school-wide staff rides. They're Chancellorsville and Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. And the reason we do that is, one, they're close, especially Chancellorsville, rather close to, close to Quantico, where we are. But uh, it also affords uh, the students an opportunity to look at two uh, battles that, if one extends it, uh, can, one can look at it as a, as a campaign season. And uh, these officers will be involved in campaign planning as staff officers, uh, developing courses of action, uh, wargaming, uh, possible solutions, writing orders, uh, communicating orders to, uh, to uh, lower headquarters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And looking at Chancellorsville and Gettysburg, one can create kind of a continuum. Uh, so Lee's so-called greatest victory at Chancellorsville, followed by what many consider the, the turning point of the war in the favor of the Union, affords the students ample opportunities to look at leadership uh, styles, to look at uh, uh, decision-making under stress, to look at civil-military relations, to look at how tactics uh, uh, kind of mold into larger strategic approaches and whether those strategic approaches are, are the correct ones given the, the political situation. And all of these things, all of these factors, and there's many more factors associated with staff writing, mm-hmm. all of these factors have relevance to what the, the decisions need to be made in places like Afghanistan or in the future 
uh, uh, battlefields or, or, or battle spaces that, uh, that these officers may be uh, uh, cast into. Uh, I mean, learning about 19th century tactics uh, often has little, in a cursory way, it, it really doesn't have much use to the modern military professional, but enduring aspects of the character of war uh, uh, about stress and leadership and, uh, and leadership styles, uh, whether they be directive leadership or more uh, loose uh, methods, we call it mission tactics or mission command within the American military. You can find examples of that at places like Chancellorsville at Gettysburg or uh, an elective that I give every year on how to conduct staff rides for my students. The, many of these individuals will become operations officers and, and might have to uh, run a staff ride for their units. And so I, um, I talked to them a bit about, you know, what are the, what are the pedagogies, what are the, the, the teaching approaches that can maximize their units' uh, 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 experience and make good use of taxpayer money. Uh, that, that's, that's very important in, in, in a time like this or any time for that matter. So it does have, it does have some real value and the, and the students continually, uh, will, uh, will cite that, uh, in their, uh, after action reports, so to speak, with regards to staff riding. Now the, uh, I mean, the term staff ride is sort of quaint to picture, uh, you know, 19th century officers on their horses mm-hmm. looking across the field, mm-hmm. uh, imagining leading their brigades in a line of battle. But mm-hmm. uh, in, in your writing about this, uh, looking at your, your uh, uh, recent article, uh, looking at the idea of the staff ride in the 21st century, mm-hmm. you make the point that there are, there are different models. There, there's a, a character-driven model where you, they play a role, and there's a Socratic mm-hmm. dialogue method where the students you know, uh, deal with questions back and forth. Well, let me ask you, how, how, what are those two models that you're talking about there and how do they work? Oh yeah, sure. I, and, and I've been exposed to, and I've run staff rides, uh, th- uh through both of these and, uh, additional, uh, pedagogies. The character driven mm-hmm. ride is, is, is very simple. Uh, if one goes to a battle and, and I'll use second Manassas, uh, as an example, one goes to a battle site, yeah, there is a character or, or a student, an officer or enlisted, whomever, who is assigned a particular character. So there is a Pope character. Mm. There would be a Franz Siegel character or a, uh, a James Longstreet character and so on and so on. And uh, the characters uh, are divvied out uh, among the group. And uh, so the, the student will, the officer, the, the enlisted personnel will, will read up on this particular character and uh, uh, within the larger context of the campaign. And when it comes time to discuss what happened on this particular piece of terrain or this particular intersection or uh, at thoroughfare gap or something like that, one can uh, call upon that individual to give a, a synopsis of what happened. And that hopefully can generate into a larger discussion about the nature of war or the character of, of the particular conflict. And it can create a rich discussion among the participants about what went, what went right, what went wrong, more importantly, why, and most importantly, why this matters. That's, that's kind of the character-driven ride. And, and so, uh, no, at, I, at, I've been quite, 
Yeah. Let me Go say, at, at one level, um, I've seen ROTC groups from ECU uh, do that at Fort Macon uh, here in North Carolina or at Bentonville. And at its worst, it can devolve into just the individual student says, well, my guy did this and that here, and That's everybody right. moves on to the next spot. Um, so so I want to hear about uh, mm-hmm. how does it work? Or let's talk about the Socratic uh, version. Yeah, that, and that that is the big pitfall that you mentioned. It can, it can mm-hmm. devolve into really a rote, uh, I want to say rote memorization, because oftentimes mm-hmm. the, it's not very well memorized even yeah. by the participants. The Socratic uh, questioning can either be done by the facilitator or the students themselves, where they will ask the entire group to get involved in a, a larger discussion about the character of the of the battle or the campaign or the enduring nature of warfare, etc., and uh, that, too, can create very rich discussions. And, and in, in many ways, uh, it can even be a richer experience because it, it, it elicits responses from everyone. Mm-hmm. But again, just like the, in the character-driven method, if, there are, uh, if individuals aren't well prepared, it uh, essentially devolves into uh, a tour. <laughs> and the tour, yeah. is, the, the slack is increasingly uh, picked up by the facilitator, him or herself. And uh, that becomes a passive tour, which is, and, it also can be less optimal for what we're, what we're trying to accomplish uh, in a professional sense. We're going to take another short break and come back. And I'm, I'm going to ask you, when you come back, ask you, what's the ideal uh, pedagogical version of this tour uh, with the thought is there any application for that when uh, you know listeners uh, we go on tours uh, either as guests or as leaders uh, so we'll come back and talk more with Professor Christopher Stowe I'm Jerry Prokopovich this is Civil War Talk Radio <laughs> Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Attention, if you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Professor Christopher Stowe of the Marine Corps Command and Staff College. We've been talking about the the phenomenon of the staff ride uh, civilians might call it simply a battlefield tour, but for professionals in the military, it's part of professional military education, PME, and they visit battlefields uh, with facilitators like uh, uh, like you, Chris, uh, tonight to uh, to enhance their, their capabilities as leaders. Uh, and we mentioned in the last segment how various traditional versions of the staff ride can either have the individual... Uh, participants memorize or study a particular uh, leader's role at that battle, or it can be based on a back-and-forth Socratic dialogue. But there's often risk in all of these of everything devolving into just the facilitator answering questions or telling what he or she knows. And uh, is there a is there a third way, or is there a better way to uh, to organize the staff ride? Well, uh, we believe there is at, at, at Command and Staff College, and, and, and uh, a, a number of us have, have, have championed a not-so-new uh, approach. As a matter of fact, this approach actually has antecedents uh, way back in the early 19th century when staff rides were, were, were born in America, largely mm-hmm. borrowing uh, from the, the Prussian and the German experience. Uh, Many of those staff rides in the early 20th century also included map exercise games that were often held off-site at places like Carlisle Barracks, uh, Pennsylvania, the War College, or at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, the Command and General Staff College. And in these games, uh, uh, they, uh, these uh, faculty members would devise scenarios for the officers that were based on historical events. And uh, the, the, uh, the officers themselves would then, uh, as training for the, their staff positions, would come up with a course of action and uh, an orders uh, process in order to communicate down the chain of command. And, and uh, as, uh, as uh, Professor Carol Reardon from Pennsylvania State University, who wrote extensively about uh, the, the, the mm-hmm. Army's use of uh, Civil War history in, uh, in the years after the Civil War, uh, these were graded uh, events. And uh, so at Marine Corps University, starting only about five or six years ago, actually a couple years before I arrived there, I arrived here at, in 2014, started resurrecting decision gaming, and that's what we call them, operational decision gaming for, for our level of student, but they could be tactical decision games for uh, lower-level officers or, or junior enlisted, and for uh, higher-level level officers at, say, the war colleges, they could be strategic decision games, you know, a, a higher level of, uh, of, of warfare, so to speak. And uh, so what we do is we, we give uh, uh, games, uh, situational games, uh, in which a decision has to be made. And uh, they can either be historical, 
uh, to the T, uh, or they can, we can change the game. We can add uh, a, an element that is untrue historically, but mm-hmm. might uh, make the experience richer uh, for the officer. And when we do this, we subject the decision uh, to the scrutiny of the group, in other words, the other officers. And uh, these are pretty cohesive groups uh, by the time they get on the battlefield. They've spent weeks and sometimes months together in seminar. They're highly functioning groups going through not only seminar but also various exercises. And so uh, th- these individuals don't, uh, they don't hold back. Uh, they will criticize uh, their, uh, their uh, compatriots, their colleagues' uh, approach when need be. And in so doing, they'll offer alternate solutions. And that's very much like a, uh, like a, uh, you know, a course of action analysis uh, in a military staff or, or even wargaming. So it, it, it's a game that, 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 that is played out on the battlefield. And uh, it, it can be rather fascinating to watch because the facilitator is, is much less part of the process. It's really student-driven more than anything else. And so uh, that's what we believe is, is, is a better way to foment and develop critical thinking, creative thinking, critical reasoning, uh, the skill sets that, that we, we, we like to develop among our, uh, our officers than, than simply you know, a, a, a history lesson. Though I will say, and, and, and uh, I think this is important, to have elements of, of many different approaches on a staff ride, on a single staff ride, can be very beneficial. You know, one stand or one stop can be character-driven. Another can be a Socratic discussion led by a, uh, a facilitator and then break out a decision game at, at, at various points. And you can get a very uh, rich uh, learning experience for everyone. Well, I, I'm thinking, using the example of Gettysburg and mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, the tour that you and, and Kent Masterson-Brown led last year at Civil or Institute, uh, and it's also the example you use in the article, uh, Union Army uh, defending Washington, D.C., knows there's a Confederate force somewhere to the north and west, uh, had the option of defending uh, the, the position at Big Pipe Creek that Meade has scouted out, or moving forward and engaging the enemy near Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Now, the the challenge there, if, if we ask our listeners what would they do, 98% of them know what Meade actually did mm-hmm. and that it worked. So uh, yep. that, how does that, doesn't that spoil the, the problem? It, 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 I'm so glad you asked that because it really can, because they have the, 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 the foreknowledge, they know what happened. And right. so the danger, of course, is having the students just determine what General Meade did, for example, on 1 July, or... Uh, conduct Jackson's flank march in Chancellorsville. Well, it goes without saying. That's the, the only yeah, course of action that could possibly yeah. work, right? And right. Uh, what we try to do uh, as facilitators, and we encourage among the officers, is to say, hey, wait a minute. You're not Jackson. You're not Meade. You're not Lee. You're not whomever. You're you. You're Major Smith or, or Major Jones. Uh, what do you think? So what we do in our staff rides is we don't say, well, you're Robert E. Lee or you're George Meade. You're you. Okay, that takes a, a little bit of the veneer of history off of it. But we will then, as a group and as facil- facilitators, we will question uh, them in, into saying, well, is there another option? Or is there a third option here? 
or even a, a fourth. Yeah, it is a danger for the students to go right to the history as, and latch on to it as the answer, because after all, it worked. But so many of these students are discerning enough and have a, a, so much operational experience, multiple deployments in places like Iraq and Afghanistan and elsewhere, that they can see that there are a, there's a multitude of options. And then oftentimes we'll throw in a, uh, a, a counterfactual in there, which will, will make things you know, far more uh, complicated for them. That's, that's something that is often done as well. Now, I mentioned General Meade, and it's hardly fair to ask you this with only five minutes uh, mm -hmm. to explain it, but you're working on a biography of Meade. Uh, sure. What, what is new to be said uh, about Meade? Uh, well, I'm part, I, I seem to be part of a, a small cottage industry of me biographers that are on the horizon right now. I, I can name a number of individuals who are, who are working on very, various aspects of George Meade's uh, career. Ken Masterson-Brown's doing a study on Meade in the Gettysburg campaign, the Pennsylvania mm -hmm. campaign. Uh, Jennifer Murray, uh, whom you're going to have on in, in, in a couple of weeks here, uh, she's doing a command biography of George G. Meade, uh, a fellow by the name of Selby from Roanoke College in Virginia, just published a, a command biography of George Meade through the Kent State University Press. And uh, Eric Wittenberg has a biography of uh, a command biography of George Meade coming out as well. Uh, what mine is different than all of those in the sense that it is, it's a cradle-to-grave biography. And uh, interestingly enough, I work for the institutional military, and yet my biography is more a social history than it is an institutional military history. So yes. I think that's the ultimate irony, is that the person who works for the military is doing the least military of, uh, of the biographical e efforts. I, I ground my work into, uh, in, within the context of various 19th century main currents, uh, mm -hmm. I talk uh, a, a great deal about uh, Meade's socialization processes and how that creates the character of the man and how that's translated into his, uh, his command style, his, uh, his, uh, his views on, on the proper course of warfare, etc. And uh, I especially latch on to uh, military masculinity in the 19th century. Uh, mm. Militaries tend to be masculine organizations, uh, mm -hmm. uh, even now. And uh, I've found in reading Meade's letters, uh, when I even started reading Meade's letters, that he's very, very hypersensitive to criticism and is, is, is typically uh, concerned as much, if not more, about his reputation than, uh, than, than really the, the, the results of, uh, of combat and the results of the war in his letters to his wife especially. And uh, that, that idea of preserving one's honor and reputation is, is uh, inextricably bound uh, within the context of uh, 19th century manhood and masculinity. And so many people have been writing about this for the past 20 or so years. Uh, Gail Biederman, uh, Amy Greenberg, Lorian Foote, uh, recently in, uh, in her work, uh, and others, Michael, uh, Michael Thomas Smith has, has worked on this uh, as well. And I found that uh, looking at Meade through the lens of uh, uh, martial masculinity provides a, a, a lens through which we can, we can examine not only Meade, but also 19th century officership. So that's the short answer <laughs> well, to, I think, uh, yeah, to the that's, question. And, and really makes me look forward to the book that the idea of uh, when people ask, you know, what, are, what else can they write about the Civil War? There's always some new 
uh, mm-hmm. approach or angle. Uh, and this sort of brings us full circle. When we started and asked you about your, your background, you mentioned graduate school opening uh, new vistas into how to study the past. I think most mm-hmm. of us uh, who were interested in the Civil War as, as uh, when we were very young, you know, the first thing we want to write about is the battles, the the, the cool charges across the open field, and then uh, uh, you learn more about it, and you mature, and you also encounter the academy where military history straight up has been out of fashion mm-hmm. for a long time. Right. Uh, and our reaction to those of us who care about this is to point out, well, the military is a really important part of human history. Uh, let's see if we can't point that out to you on your own terms and talk about uh, social aspects as well as military aspects and how they intersect. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're doing that with with Meade. Yeah, I certainly am. And it it really helps to be a part of a a military culture, Uh, even though I'm kind of uh, living through it vicariously. I mean, I'm married to an Army soldier. Uh, So (laughs) when I come home at night, you know, my wife is, uh, is, is an Army nurse and has been in for 20 years. So I'm kind of surrounded by a military culture in my work life and my in my home life, and uh, that that military culture matters. And if one is institutionalized within that 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 culture, uh, it cannot help but have a, a, you know lasting effects on the way those individuals then and now view the world. And uh, so uh, I, that really helps me um, uh, conceptualize it even more. Uh, I would I would argue. Well, I'm having the same reaction now that I had when you and I talked over a dinner table at uh, the Civil War Institute, which was, uh, we could do this for hours, and I would like to, but unfortunately, we are at the end of our time here on Civil War Talk Radio, but uh, are you planning to be at CWI this year? Uh, I am not, as a matter of fact, not this year. I am not okay. on the DS this year. I'm hope, hopeful that I can do it in subsequent years, of course, but not this year. Well, I, uh, well that's unfortunate. I will be there just hanging out, interviewing people for the show uh, as, as, as we got to do uh, and setting up shows as you and I did. But I'm sure. I'm sure you and I will see each other on the Civil War uh, uh, trail somewhere in, in the days to come, and I'd look forward to that very much. Certainly. Uh, in the meantime, uh, all I can say is thank you for being on the show and, and look forward to our chance to talk again and look forward to reading your Mead biography when it comes out. Yes, thank you for having me. It was a, quite a pleasure. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.